Good morning and welcome. What a beautiful Memorial Day weekend we're enjoying here in Minnesota. Um, My name is Matt. I have the honor to serve as the lead pastor here at Prairie Hill. I want to extend a welcome uh, to all of you who are joining uh, in worship here in this room, who are joining online. Some of you I know are feeling um, really close to God during this season of your life, and some of you are feeling very far from God during this season of your life. And um, wherever you are on that spectrum, I'm thankful to be here with you, and I, I hope that in investing this hour at worship, God will use it to um, open your eyes to his beauty, to further satisfy your soul in the goodness of God, and give you further direction in the path that he's marked out for you. Your presence here um, is an act of worship towards God. It's also an encouragement toward everyone else who's gathered with you here. So as you leave, make sure to notice who's around you and greet them in Jesus' name, okay? I want to spend some time with you in prayer now. Um, Prayer is much more than filler material during services. Um, Prayer is never filler material. It's one of the most important things we do when we gather together to worship is we unite our hearts in prayer before God. So I want to offer a prayer with you. I want to tell you in advance that I want to focus on three things in particular in our prayer, Um, and those three things are confession, gratitude, and openness, openness to what God wants to do in you uh, today and in the days to come. So confession, gratitude, and openness. Let's take these um, three concerns to the Lord together, okay? Let's pray. Our Father, forgive us for rushing into your presence without remembering what a privilege it is to come into your presence as a gathered church. You are great. You are creator. You are owner. You are worthy of worship. So we we think about who you are. We also think about who we are. We, We bear your image, but we are fallen. Fallen in sin, we are very weak in resolve. We are often petty and callous. And we're only restored to wholeness in Jesus Christ. That's our our confession that we want to make to you, Father, is that you are creator and beautiful and worthy and that we are fallen and in need of restoration in Jesus. We turn our attention and our minds to gratitude, just saying thank you that you have restored us in Jesus Christ as we abide in him by faith. We confess that we are in him by faith. We thank you that you have saved us without requiring a long list of things to do, but have only required of us that we place our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. 
We thank you for very simple things, Father, like the gift of life and the gift of breath. Thank you for health to be here today. Thank you for meaningful relationships. Thank you for meaningful work. Thank you for provision, food, shelter, clothing. Thank you for this church family, for putting others around us that care for us and love us no matter what and are committed to supporting us. This weekend in particular, we thank you that other people were so willing to live a sacrificial life that they laid down their lives in service for our country, for future generations, some having died in service and others dying once their service was completed years later. We thank you uh, for those uh, veterans of the armed forces um, who, have, who have died, who have passed on, and we remember them before you today. And Lord, lastly, we, we want to ask you something regarding the openness of our hearts because we know that over time we just get hard in heart and we become closed-minded. We become very secure in our own opinions and our own rightness, very sure of ourselves, very self-justifying. And we know that that is not the proper posture for someone to take when they, when they walk with you. We know that we're in in constant need of repentance and renewal. And so our request, Father, is that today, um, through listening to the word and giving our attention to the word, you would melt our hearts and break down in our lives places where we need to be broken down. That you would make this a great day, not because of some achievement that we have, but because it's a day where we finally saw the need for repentance and change and that you began that important work in us today. So we bring these requests to you. We bring these praises to you and thanksgivings to you. Thank you for listening to our prayer. It's an amazing thing that the God who created the trillions upon trillions of stars and planets, galaxies, the creator of the universe would listen when we speak. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right, well, I, I want to invite you to open your Bible, find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, um, we're stepping out of Luke today. So if you're a regular here, you know we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, asking the question, what is the kingdom of God like? And we will get back to that next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're actually going to start Luke chapter 15 um, the, the main component of which is the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to take, I'm planning to take three Sundays on the parable of the prodigal son and talk about um, the father in the parable, the father, talk about the prodigal, the younger son, on a separate Sunday, and then finally talk about the older son um, on a third Sunday. So that's all ahead of us in the month of June. Um, today, we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 4 to talk about a really big picture question. Um, Let me frame it for you like this, the question that we're talking about today, okay? Last Sunday, if you were here, just this past Sunday, we were in Luke 14, and we were noticing Jesus talking about the reality 
that the Christian life is difficult. That was the main point. Count the cost because there's difficulty ahead, right? That was the main point. We talked about the fact that the Christian life is difficult. Today, we're going to take kind of a companion message and ask the question, why is the Christian life difficult? We have recognized that it is hard and it is difficult and this, there is a cross-bearing, but Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 gets to the heart of why it's hard and what is God's purpose in the Christian life being difficult. That's what we're after today in 2 Corinthians 4. And so just to get a mental outline of it, to make it easier for us once we get into the material, here's, here's how it breaks down, okay? So starting in verse 7, reading through verse 18, the first part is going to be Paul talking about the ways in which the Christian life is hard. Examples, explanation of how it's hard. And then the second part is he's going to start talking about why and what is God's purpose in this for us, okay? So in the first part, we're going to identify with the problems that he's talking about and say, yep, I've got that problem too. Yep, I've got that problem too. And then in the second part, we're going to learn what is God's purpose in all of this and how can I work alongside God in his purpose instead of fighting against it all the time, okay? Second Corinthians, um, I think, is my favorite book of the Bible. It's so personal. Because Paul's not just giving us theology and teaching us doctrine about God. He's doing that, but he's talking about, like, what's happening in his own body, in his own spirit, and how discouraged he gets sometimes, and how God supports him and is his total strength through that. It's so personal. I I really believe that what we're going to read today is one of the highlights, at least a personal highlight for me, of Paul's writing, okay? Talking about why the Christian life is difficult. If you're able to stand this morning, I want to invite you to do that now as we read the word, and then we'll we'll get into it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, Now, look up here for just a moment. What's the treasure? The treasure, look look right at the the verse right before that, okay? Verse six. uh, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If we read back a little bit further, we'd see that, yeah, that's an equivalent statement to the gospel, the beautiful gospel of Jesus. So it's, a, it's an overall term for the beauty of Jesus as contained in the gospel message. That's the treasure that he's talking about. And he says, where's it located? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 
since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. He's going to quote Psalm 116. I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Please be seated. I wonder if you can identify with Paul's description of the Christian experience. The first thing that he mentions is our frail container. That's verse 7. He talks first about this frail container. There's an example of a frail container standing in front of you this morning, right? Me. We have this treasure, gospel of Jesus, in jars of clay. He's referring to our human bodies. Anyone been disappointed by their human body lately? I really hesitate to mention this because it's such a small thing compared to what you're dealing with. I was disappointed in my human body yesterday. I help out with Calvin's baseball team, and I was shagging fly balls. There was a ball that was hit towards me, and three years ago I would have not had any problem catching it. I missed it. I hurt my toe. How embarrassing. Such a silly small thing. His body's break down. Anyone been let down or discouraged by their frail container? A very human, very frail, sometimes very weak body. Doesn't it make sense to think that if God loves us and if God has saved us and if God hears our prayers and can do anything, doesn't it make sense that he would always take away our physical ailments and heal us? I mean, isn't that what you'd... I mean, of course, right? I mean, why wouldn't God heal us and take care of every physical ailment? Things that we pray for, things that we're struggling with, like protection from paralysis and protection from cancer protection from disease. You might think it's to be taken for granted that God would want to heal me. I mentioned a a moment ago that one of the reasons I love 2 Corinthians is because Paul talks so much about himself and his own struggles. When we get to chapter 12, I know we're in chapter 4 this morning, but if you go to chapter 12, he writes this really intriguing thing about how he's been given what he calls a thorn in the flesh. Some physical problem that he has. 
He writes how he prayed. In fact, the word he uses is pleaded. I pleaded with God three times that it would be taken away, and God didn't take it away. In the letter that he wrote to the Galatians, chapter 4 of that letter, he reminisces with them a little bit about his first trip to see them. And it turns out that the first time Paul visited their city and preached the gospel to them, he was dealing with a physical problem. And he doesn't tell us what the problem was, but it's obvious that it was severe. He, this is what he writes. He says, I know in that first trip, I know that my physical, con- my, my physical condition was a trial to you. But you did not scorn or despise me. We don't know what his problem was. All we can do is speculate, but we know that it was serious, it was painful, and it became a burden to other people around him. And that just added to the embarrassment, added to his burden because he became a burden to others because of some physical thing that he was powerless to do anything about. So Paul, Paul, the the great carrier of the gospel, the great articulator of the gospel, had a, a noticeable, difficult, burdensome physical problem. The the treasure was contained in this really frail vessel, a frail human body. What's our purpose in spending so much time talking about this? Well, our purpose is to understand that being a Christian doesn't exempt us from the frail container. We will each walk through life with fresh signs of frailty and physical weakness, and seeing these signs in ourselves is not a sign of God's disfavor. You might be tempted to think so, that because I feel this way or because I'm suffering with this ailment, God must not be happy with me. I must not have his favor. That's not true just like it wasn't true for Paul. The sign of God's favor is what's on the inside. That the Spirit of God has come to make a home inside this frail container. And that these frail bodies that we have, though weak and sometimes ugly, and sometimes personally embarrassing, have been made honorable because of the presence of God dwelling with it. We live with the frail container. That's part of our experience. The other part of our experience that Paul writes about is what we could just call like life circumstances. Frail container, difficult circumstances. Verses 8 and 9 describe the difficult circumstances we deal with. So he's moved from physical ailments to like just hard life stuff. He writes that we are afflicted, verse 8. That's a general description of circumstances, difficult circumstances, afflicted, general term. The next term is perplexed, perplexed, verse 8, we are perplexed. That has reference to mental and spiritual difficulties. Being perplexed is something that happens in the mind and in the spirit. Literally, the phrase means at a loss. 
we don't know what's happening or why. We can't explain why such and such a thing is happening. We can't explain why God would do such and such a thing or allow such and such a thing. Completely at a loss. We just say, I don't know. Have you been there recently? Doubts, fears, no answers, troubled soul, afflicted, perplexed. The next two descriptions, persecuted and struck down, verse 9, seem to have reference to physical sufferings. For the sake of Christ, so that's the difference. We're not talking about, like, the frail container getting sick and disease. Now, now we're talking about physical sufferings for the sake of Christ, persecuted, struck down. Paul knew that experience. He writes extensively about that experience in chapter 11, the, the times he was whipped, the times he was stoned, the times he was beaten. He knew that experience. Countless other Christians have known that experience. We may know that experience. This is a famous section of Second Corinthians here. Afflicted, perplexed, struck down, persecuted. What's, what's his aim here? What's he, what's he doing? One of his aims seems to be showing, like, the comprehensive nature of our circumstantial issues. Like, he seems to cover all the ground here. It's very inclusive In fact, notice in verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. Do you see that word? Every way. We should never be surprised at what comes our way and what God allows into our, our path. Afflicted in every way, mental, spiritual, physical. All these things. So one of his aims seems to be to show how comprehensive our affliction is. His other aim here seems to be to show that in the midst of these things, that God does indeed sustain us. That there is the sustaining power of God as these things are happening, right? Afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. If we took an Old Testament slant on this, we could look to Psalm 23 and notice that being in covenant relationship with God does not exempt you from walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Being in covenant relationship with God means that you don't walk through that valley alone. We can say... Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Do we have difficulty? Yes, we do. We're walking through a valley. Is it overwhelming difficulty? Yes, it is. What kind of a valley is it? It's the valley of the shadow of death. It looks like death and it smells like death. It's very hard. It's a valley and it's a horrible valley that we would never choose to walk through. But are we finally destroyed? No. Because of what Paul calls the surpassing power of God, verse 7. 
we suffer all these things, but we suffer no eternal loss. Now, that's not to soften the hard realities of the Christian life. Being struck down hurts, and being perplexed is really troubling. Being afflicted in every way has a compounding effect on us, so the term suffering still applies. In fact, the the image that Paul chooses to kind of encapsulate the whole Christian experience, seen in verses 10 through 12, the word that he chooses is kind of an umbrella term for what this is all like, is death. This feels like death. If you are a, a new Christian and you grow, go to browse the, the Christian section at Barnes & Noble, or you scan through a list of Christian conferences that you can go to, and you look at the themes of those conferences, it's very likely that you would come away with the impression that the whole idea behind the Christian life is to lay hold of all this abundance that God has for you out there. All of this material abundance can be yours if you will only be willing to unlock the door and find the key. So all the titles, five steps to, to this. How can I live my best life now? How can I open the door so God can rain down all these material blessings on me? And there's any number of conferences that you can attend that will major on that point for you. And, you know, throw a rock at the bookshelf at the bookstore, and you'll hit a book that can tell you about that. The, the message that you can easily get if you just look at the popular stuff out there is that the measure of a mature Christian is the degree to which they have come into ownership of the material blessings that God has for them. How they've been able to increase their overall profile, their wealth, and can have now a large impact on everyone around them. Well, and then we open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, and we read this from Paul. Verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. First reference to death. Verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Second reference to death. Verse 12. So death is at work in us. Third reference to death. That's Paul's summative description of the Christian life. It often feels like death. It often looks like death. In fact, he writes in verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Okay, maybe you are that new Christian. Maybe you are, maybe... Maybe you are the one who was at Barnes & Noble last night looking for a book that can tell you what this Christianity is all about. And maybe, okay, listen to Paul. He has no book to sell you. He has no conference that he wants you to attend. 
He's not trying to increase his platform. He has no agenda other than that he loves Jesus. Take your view of the Christian life from someone who is beaten and whipped and stoned, hungry, exposed, shipwrecked, and kept on getting up to tell people about Jesus. Take your view of the Christian life from him. He's got no agenda for you other than to tell you the truth. And his summary of the Christian life is that it often feels like and looks like death. Now, we have to get to the why. Because all we've done so far is create a high level of negativity and and depression in the room of thinking about how hard it's going to be. Listen to what he says about why it's that way. Why does the Christian life often look and feel like death? Why this frail container? Why these difficult circumstances? Paul makes it so clear. He uses precise language to tell us the answer, and he repeats it for emphasis. Please hear this, Christian. God's one great purpose for you Are you listening? His one great purpose for you is that you show the life of Jesus in your body. That's it. Internalize it. Drink it in and let it settle in your heart. God's one great purpose for you in your body is that you manifest the life of Jesus Christ in your mortal flesh. That's what he's after. Please notice Paul's clarity on this point. Verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that, right, purpose statement coming, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He says it again, almost the exact same thing. Verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, if you ask 10 Christian leaders, just go out and pick any 10 Christian leaders, pastors, priests, professional, clergy, whatever, if you went out and asked them, hey, what is God's purpose for me now that I am a Christian? What does God want to happen? What does he want to see from me? If you ask 10 leaders, you'd probably get eight or nine different answers. It would probably sound something like this. Hey, what is God's purpose for me now that I've become a Christian? Someone would say, well, he wants to bless you. Some would say, well, he wants to use you. You'd probably hear, well, he wants you to not sin anymore. Someone would probably say, well, he wants you to serve. He wants you to give. He wants you to love others. There is something to be said in favor of all of those answers. It's not that those things aren't true in some sense, but none of them capture God's ultimate purpose for you. Did you know that God's purpose for you is much greater than just stop sinning? Have you fallen into that reductionistic thinking that this whole endeavor that I'm part of, and it's all based on God just wants me to stop sinning? It's much, much bigger than that. 
so thankful it's much bigger than that. God's purpose for your life is that in this frail container that you occupy, in the midst of all of your difficult circumstances, that you manifest the life of Jesus. That when other people look at you, they see him. A measure of his life. God's purpose for you is that you be a little Christ. Did you know that that's what Christian means? Now, how's that going to happen? How are we going to show what Jesus' life looks like if we know nothing of his circumstances, nothing of his persecutions, nothing of his sufferings, nothing of his betrayals, his piercings, nothing of his physical weakness and his humility? It is a revolutionary day when we realize that the tough stuff that I'm facing in this moment are not a sign of God's disfavor. They are, however, my opportunity to display the life of Jesus. What an honor. What kind of honor are you looking for in your life? How about the honor of showing the world a measure of the life of Jesus Christ? Now, we're going to need a little bit of help in being just a little bit more specific about what that life looks like, okay? We're going to do this pretty quickly, but we're just going to talk about four four ways or four qualities of this life of Jesus, because we read this passage and we think, okay, I'm supposed to manifest the life of Jesus. Well, what exactly does that mean? Like, the life of Jesus is huge. Like, what are we talking about here? How do I show this life of Jesus in the midst of my physical suffering, in the midst of my circumstantial suffering, all of the hard things that are represented in this room, in in global Christianity? What exactly would that look like to see the life of Jesus in you? Four qualities, first of all. The life of Jesus is a life that maintains a soft heart toward opponents. The the reference point for that is Luke 23, that Jesus prayed in the presence of those who were killing him, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The life of Jesus is a life that maintains a soft heart toward opponents. So some of you, your greatest affliction right now, the thing that is weighing heaviest on you, is a relational issue where someone or some people have hurt you. And it's a heavy, heavy, heavy burden and the human thing to do, the, the life of Matt thing to do, is to let resentment and bitterness and anger build up and build up and build up. But the life of Jesus, that different life, that Christ-like life, is a life that instead of doing that, maintains a soft position toward people that have hurt you. A heart that is ready to forgive and ready to reconcile. 
That is the life of Jesus in you. Because who can be that way toward people who are making your life difficult? Secondly, the life of Jesus is a life that clings to a high view of God's character. The natural thing to do is when we're going through hard stuff is to, instead of letting resentment and bitterness maybe build up towards other people, is to let that build up toward God and be all directed toward him and begin to think low thoughts of God. If, if he's allowing this into my life, then he must not be good. He must not be there. He must not be listening. He must not be powerful. And so you, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, that when life is hard because of our frail container, because of our difficult circumstances, that one thing that can happen is that our view of God goes from here to here. And so we think, okay, well, what does the life of Jesus look like in that regard? And we think about John 14, where Jesus is less than 24 hours from the cross. And Jesus reflects on the coming 24 hours, saying, saying this, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. In other words, I'm going to the cross so that the world may know that I love the Father. If there was anyone who had a reason to begin to doubt the goodness of the Father, it was Jesus. After all, who sets a cross before their son? But on the eve of his crucifixion, he said, I'm doing this so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you know what that means? It means that the cross was not only an act of obedience, it was also an act of love. And you say, yeah, I know, I've been hearing that since Sunday school. The, the cross was an act of love, right? God's love for us. no. I mean, yes, but not primarily. Primarily, the cross was first an act of love of the Son for the Father. Jesus never lost sight of the goodness of God. Even when the hardest thing was set before him, he resolutely clung to the goodness of God. That's what the Christ life looks like. Do you have an opportunity to do that today? in the midst of whatever you're going through. Third, the life of Jesus is a life that embraces God's definite plan for me. This is John 18. The previous one, of course, was John 14. The life of Jesus embraces God's definite plan for me. John 18, this is the passage where Jesus um, is arrested in the garden. Judas is the one who's brought the, the soldiers to arrest him. And in the midst of all this happening, and his disciples trying to fight against the soldiers and save Jesus, he stops all of that and he says to them, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
See, he, he locates his experience in the plan of God. He says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, this is very easy to miss, but notice what he doesn't say, because the very human thing would have been to say something like this. Shall I not drink the cup that Judas has given me? Look at this guy. Here comes Judas with the soldiers. Look how horrible, and look what's happening to me now. Shall I not drink the cup that Judas has just put in my hand through his treachery and all of this horrible stuff that he's doing? Jesus doesn't view himself as a victim at all. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's no different for you. It's no different for me. Let's not carry this burdensome victim mentality with us anymore where we see everything that going wrong in our lives is just the product of these horrible people over here who have put this cup in my hand and now I have to deal with it. Jesus locates himself in the plan of God, in God's definite plan for him. That's the life of Jesus. It embraces God's definite plan for me and says it's a good plan even when things are hard, because it is my opportunity to show the life of Jesus to the world. That someone could respond that way to suffering, to say, I'm embracing God's plan for me in my chance to put Jesus on display. Here's the last one. We're talking about the qualities of the life of Jesus that we can put on display when we experience what feels like death in our lives. The life of Jesus is finally a a life that looks to an eternal glory. Hebrews 12. Looking to Jesus, this is the Hebrews 12 passage, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated the right hand of the throne of God. We see the same idea here in our Second Corinthians text, verse 16, the same idea of looking beyond present suffering to the coming eternal glory. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The the life of Jesus is a life that looks to an eternal glory. We really don't want to come away from all this with the impression that the Christian life is just to be endured. It's all difficulty. It's just something we have to make it through. It's a life that endures difficulty while it looks to and aims for a future eternal glory. It's a life whose hope is set on a glory yet to be revealed in a glory that will never end. See, we live in a world where 
Everybody thinks that this life is all there is. So if you're suffering now, there's nothing in it for you. Like that's the worst thing that could happen is that you're not getting anything out of this life. But when that same world sees hope in the eyes of a person with a terminal diagnosis and they see joy in the eyes of a person who can't move their limbs anymore, And they hear someone talking about the goodness of God who just lost someone that they love so much. And the hope of seeing them again beyond the grave. The world cannot comprehend that. The life of Jesus sets its hope beyond the grave to glory. So at the very end here, Paul helps us get into the right frame of mind regarding our difficulties. He basically says if we put them in the scales, our present problems, and we weigh them against the coming glory that we enter into with Jesus, it's beyond all comparisons like this. Light and momentary affliction. Here, eternal weight of glory. Here. I don't know what to do with that phrase, eternal weight of glory. I can't explain it to you. There's mystery there. Like, what is that? What does that look like? Notice Paul says, beyond all comparison. There's no way to compare it, to say it's like this or much better than that. All we know is that Paul actually got to see some of it. When you get to the end of this letter, he talks about how he got to see things. He was privileged to see things and hear things that defy Words. But along with that revelation that he got came the very thorn in the flesh that he writes about. He got the thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited because the revelation of glory was so privileged and so wonderful, it came with an accompanying hardship. So let me just say in closing that what we have been given in terms of knowledge of the beautiful Jesus Christ is so privileged and so wonderful. The treasure inside of us is so valuable. If it is counterbalanced by hardship to keep us from becoming conceited and to put the life of Jesus on display, Shall we not bless the Lord nevertheless? And shall we not rely on this very personal word, my grace is sufficient for you? For my power is made perfect in weakness. So I want to invite you to take one more look at this list that we've made. these qualities of the life of Jesus, and just ask yourself, where is my opportunity today to set down the the me life in this area and put on display the life of Jesus? Where's your opportunity to manifest his life in your body? That is his one great purpose for you, you know, and for me. Amen. Lord Jesus, we submit ourselves to you. 
in this moment, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters as we consider this beautiful life of Jesus. We want to acknowledge before you, Lord, that it's not a simple thing to put these things into practice. We know that having the life of Christ manifested in us is only one through wrestling with you in prayer. We remember the wrestling of Jacob. We remember the wrestling of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We remember Paul wrestling with you in prayer, pleading with you three times that his affliction be taken away. We know that for us, these things will be won through an intense wrestling. And so we come to you as this first act of prayer saying, help us, Father. Help us put the life of Jesus on display. Help us to count that as our greatest opportunity and best thing that could happen to us, that in this mortal flesh we could put on display the life of your beautiful son. It's going to be hard. In fact, it's beyond our capability. The apostle has told us that this is also that the surpassing power will be shown to come from you and not from us. May it ever be so. Amen.